Uh, let's look now at Genesis chapter 1. We are, um, today and next week, we're going to wrap up our uh, series called Coexist, Tolerance, or Love, Jesus, the Light in the Midst of the Fog. And um, for the next two weeks, we're looking at the topic of gender. Uh, which is not easy, uh, to say the least. And um, it's a hot topic in our day, and yet to kind of ease into it, I was going to try to do it all in one sermon, and this morning realized there's just no way to do that. Uh, so we're going to uh, take a look at part, and next week finish it up, and I'll explain why uh, and what the connection is to coexist and tolerance and that message in our culture here in a minute. But let's look at Genesis chapter 1, verses 26 through 28. It's the very Word of God. Then God said, Let us make man in our image, after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and birds of the, of the, um, of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. Let's pray together. Our great God, we rejoice that you're a God of clarity. You're a God of truth. Our great God, you exist as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Three persons, equal in worth, equal in being, and yet you exist in a hierarchy of relationship, of submission, and headship, and leadership, and following. And it's that dance, it's that beauty of of, you, of your relationship with yourself and the Trinity that is far beyond our comprehension um, that sheds so much light on the current gender wars that we uh, encounter on a daily basis in the war in the church and in the uh, the world. And so Father, we pray that you would come by your spirit and you would shed light for us this morning. Give us eyes to see and ears to hear. Would you calm our hearts with the beauty of Christ and His gospel? And would you bring real order and real truth to bear in our lives that we might be men and women, boys and girls, made in your image who are for your glory through seeking the roles and um, the perspective of our uniqueness that you would have us embrace, that we might be the men and women that can stand in this world and point to Christ simply because of who and what you've made us to be. Oh God, be with us in the next few minutes. We pray for your presence. I need you, oh God. You know that and I know that. Um, And so God, I pray that you would give me the words to say and that Father, you would bless this, this teaching. For we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. What is a woman's place in the world, and what is a man's place in the world? I simply ask that question, and already, I promise you, uh, there's a reaction in you. (laughs) As soon as I said a minute ago that I was going to talk on gender, it started. Uh, 
on one side, there is defensiveness. Um, yeah, you're not going to put your antiquated Christian traditionalistic kind of garbage on me, you know. Um, or maybe some might be saying, oh yeah, give it to him, pastor. You tell my wife her place. You tell those women their place. Or maybe you have kind of the other side. As soon as I even mention the topic, there it, it, it uncovers deep insecurity in your own life. And, and you struggle and you think, oh man, I know I'm doing it wrong. I mean, I know I've been too domineering. Or I know I've been just a doormat. And you're saying, yeah, I'm just not ready if I'm, if, if I want to, I just don't know if I want to hear the guilt and have more shame this morning. And so we have to ask the question, well, why even deal with it? I mean, let's just cut it off, you know, let's end the series, let's be done with it, and let's move, move on to series number two or whatever. Um, and, and I really couldn't move on because if you look at the coexist tolerance message, if you look at the very uh, central message of our culture, it's really an issue of gender. If you if you remove all the the side issues, it comes down to what do we believe about manhood and womanhood? What do we believe uh, is the the role of men and women? What how do we think about gender in our society? And so we have to think. Um, biblically, or we're simply not uh, going to be dealing with it with much integrity. Um, and you see that the whole coexist tolerance movement, if you will, or uh, kind of the mainline thinking of our day, is in reaction to the church, I think. And really, the abusive teaching or the abuse of biblical truth that... Um, that we have been a part of and that we have nurtured and uh, taught and demonstrated to our world. Um, people like James Dobson and uh, the Family Life Research Council, who I have tons of respect for James Dobson, a dear brother in Christ, has done great things. But whether uh, his teaching or the church, whatever, we, we've kind of... Uh, kind of taken that teaching and, and made one model that everybody else should really follow and, and be a part of. Um, and that's simply not biblical. And yet this is what um, feminism and feminists have responded to. This this whole idea that, uh, that the only place for a woman is uh, the only way that she can really play a legitimate role in Christianity is in relationship to her husband as a wife. And so single women have not known what in the world to do with that. And um, that's really been a dilemma for single men too, which we're going to talk about, or it's created a dilemma for single men. Um, and it's created and been kind of the groundwork for a lot of abuse and a lot of just bad practice in the church. And so feminists reacted against that, stopped having babies, got a job, and said we're going to show those men that we can outwork them and outperform them in the workplace, and we're going to embrace the sexual freedoms that we have, and that's pretty much what has happened. And where we are today is anyone's guess, in my mind. Um, in terms of the church, I sense that we're much healthier. Um, especially in a, in a church like Downtown Church. We have many women that are working, many women in the home. I, I have not noticed personally a huge issue at Downtown Church, but I know that the underlying current is there. Um, and, and it's there because of, or in, in this way. Um, 
Well, let me back up a second. The underlying current is there because the church has gotten to a better place, not intentionally, not strategically, not because we've gone back to the Bible and we've taught the deep, rich truths of, uh, of God's Word into the subject. We've really kind of ignored it and just let it happen. And so we've gotten this way more by default than by strategic biblical teaching. And because of that, though the practice is better, um, where that leaves us is, is with that underlying current of unrest. Um, a woman who does feel like she's called to, to be at home and in, to, um, that that is the way that she is going to invest in her children and raise her children and, and, um, and really see that as her workplace... Uh, is insecure <laughs> because when she's out in the world or at church or somewhere and she's asked, oh, what do you do? Where do you work? Uh, there's this internal struggle and, and really somewhat of guilt and shame of thinking, I really don't measure up, but yeah, I'm a, I'm a homemaker. Right? I, I'm, you know, I just work at home, that kind of thing. Um, and then you have uh, the women that, that are working and do have a uh, profession, whether single or married. And uh, single women, when you know they struggle sometimes with this whole idea inside the church, well, am I, am I being too dominant? Am I being too domineering? Is that, you know, is that biblical and is that how people perceive me? Is that I want to, uh, you know, rule the church or rule the workplace or rule whatever, you know? And so there's insecurity there. And then there's a lot of insecurity for uh, moms, married women who are working. And, um, you know, when they think about, well, am I doing a good enough job? I'm stretched so thin. And, you know, when they're, you know, someone asks them, well, what, you know, um, tell me about your children. You know, where are they? Well, I, they're in daycare. And, you know, there's insecurity there. And so there's just insecurity all across the board. And then you have single men who are coming are, are, are um, in a culture with women who are not like their mother. Um, uh, these are women who are more empowered and, and more free to be in the workplace and uh, to hold positions of, uh, of authority and incredible responsibility and so forth, which is a great, great thing, um, you know, in, our, in our, a great practice and a great advancement. Hear me say that. But because many of those women grew up with moms and dads who told them they could be anything, they could do anything, and so forth. Um, that's why many of you ladies are, and women are in positions that you're in. And yet, what we've seen is that there's been a void of teaching toward uh, little boys and um, high school students and so forth, telling, you know, giving them a biblical framework. And so when they go in the world and all they have is just kind of intuition and I kind of watch my parents and my mom didn't work or whatever. Uh, and so how do I deal with this, this woman who has a radically different perspective? It's not that I'm against it. I just, uh, to be, I am a little threatened by it because I don't know what to do with it. And so you've got all this going on and I haven't seen the church saying a whole lot, to be honest with you. And so what I wanted to do is come to this, and to be honest with you, I didn't want to do it. I felt like I had to um, because of this issue. We cannot pick and choose what we're going to take from God's Word. We have to go to His Word and say, your, your answer is the answer. 
No matter how uncomfortable it is, and, and I think that's why the church is where we are, we've not dealt with the sexual dysfunction that exists in our, in our culture. We haven't dealt with this issues of homosexuality. We, we haven't dealt with all these issues that we've been looking at, and therefore we've been dealing with it so, so bad because we've just been reactionary, and the whole issue of gender is the same way. And so what does the Bible say? That's what we want to ask. And if you're here today and you're not a believer and you already just want to walk out, I just want to encourage you, listen. Um, you don't have to. I, there's, you know, uh, you're free to go if you want. But I, but I really plead with you to listen for this, for this reason. I, your perception of what the Bible is going to say is probably different than what the Bible says. Maybe not. But I just want to challenge you. Would you just listen? Uh, or if you're a Christian and you feel like you've got this settled and, you know, just listen. Let me put it out there. And then let's talk. I mean, seriously, call me, email me, let's dialogue. But let's see what the Scripture says and let's move from there. And before we even do that, and that's why I'm already taking probably 10 or 15 minutes. Now you can see why this is two sermons and it probably ought to be three. Um, I hadn't even gotten to the first point and I've got two sub-points before we even get to the first point. So I'm just going to have to quit at some point because we've got to get out of here. Okay? Uh, so hang with me because these sub-points are, are, I think, Good, uh, rich stuff. So <laughs> that's why I put them down here. I think I think we need to hear it. All right. So first sub point is this: we must avoid the pitfalls of the past and not seek one biblical model that must apply to all. I really think that's where we got into trouble. And, and I think that, and I don't, I'm not saying James Dobson was trying to do this. I'm not going to judge his heart. But I think what we did with his teaching and and many like him, was we said, okay, his teaching is the model. And therefore, that is the one that we have to follow if we're going to be real godly men and women, godly families, godly singles, whatever. All right? Um, well, let me just say this. The gospel frees us from having to have a clear model of biblical practice that we must obey in order to feel righteous. In other words, the Bible gives us clear teaching, but the application of that teaching, it does not give on every point, And it's up to us to figure it out. Alright? And that's not been what's happened in the church. The church um, has basically said this is the way to do it. And friends, we have to take a gospel approach. And that's why Chris Davis's sermon three weeks ago today, if you didn't hear it, you need to hear it. He preached three sermons on our DNA, and all three were stellar in my mind. I was on the beach when I heard the first one. I was walking down the beach. I was actually running on the beach, and my hands went in the air uh, at his first point. And I still remember he, his whole point, uh, his whole first point was that a gospel-driven church is not issue-based. Because in the gospel-driven church, the gospel frees us to be at odds with one another in regard to the application of biblical truth. Not to be at odds with each other of whether or not this is the very word of God, but in regard to what, you know, it says this, but how do I apply it in my life? It may look different in my life than in yours. And we in the church have not had that DNA. In fact, when I was growing up, and in my day, if you will, um, we, this is kind of how people viewed the church, because it was so segregated by common interest. 
that you would see a church, but you'd say, oh yeah, that's the homeschooling church. You know? Um, and what that meant was, if you go to that church and you don't homeschool your children, or if you're single, you're going to have, I mean, you know, you're going to have no idea, you're just not going to, you're going to stand out and you're just not going to feel at home in that church. Or, oh yeah, to go to that church, you've got to send your children to MUS or Christian Brothers or ECS or St. Agnes or Hutchison. That, that's just kind of, that's the private school church. And then over here, well, we've got the people that, you know, they send their children to the public schools and we all know they're going to hell, you know. <laughs> I mean, that literally was pretty much how it was. Um, And how ridiculous is that? And so, do you understand that that we're not going to get freedom in the church unless we come and we come under the lordship and under the rule of Christ and His Word, and we say, "Speak to us." And we're not looking at our neighbors saying, "Oh, look at them." They're dropping their children off at daycare, or look at her just at home wasting her life. I mean, we can't do that. We, there's there's got to be this mutual respect that we are struggling together toward what God would have us do and be. And what that looks like is going to be different. All right. So that's the first thing. The second, I told you it was going to be good. Um, the second is this. The gospel not only frees us to struggle with the application of God's word and community, but it also warns us that the fall uh, pretty much assures that, that we're not going to get it right. Um, here's the deal. It's so easy to look back at our parents' generation and say, <laughs> those foolish, conservative traditionalists. Do you understand our children and grandchildren are going to do the same about us? Are you okay with that? I mean, we have to get to that reality that we're not going to get it right either. We're going to mess up. We're going to go in one direction and we're going to be so blinded that we're not going to see it. But here's the beauty about a diverse church. And what I mean, not just diverse racially and, 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 and not just diverse um, in regard to class, but diverse in terms of we have, you know, um, single, married, older, younger, some working, some not working, uh, some staying home with children, some having children, some not, some adopting. I mean, the beauty about the diversity of practice, of biblical application, is there's greater, um, there's a greater chance that we are going to get it more right than not. Because we have checks and balances. We have somebody pushing against us. We have different models around us. And we can't just say, well, I feel good about all my decisions because, look, everybody else in the church does the same thing. Um, We've got to understand that we're going to get it wrong. And, in fact, that's what Genesis 3.16 and 17 tells us. All right, listen to Genesis 3.16. To the woman, God said, your desire will be for your husband and he will rule over you. Now, that is not... What should be, that's what is because of sin. And then verse 17, to Adam he said, because you listened to your wife and ate um, fruit from the tree about which I commanded you, you must not eat from it. Cursed is the ground because of you. And so we have these two extremes that I really think are the, the very two bents of, of men and women in a, in a real general sense. Um, The, the woman is going to look to, it says, your desire will be for your husband and he will rule over you. In other words, um, a woman's natural bent and natural direction is going to be in the direction of my wedding day will be my day of glory. 
My wedding day is going to solve all my problems. My wedding day is heaven. I don't need Jesus. I don't need God. If I just have my wedding day. But then you wake up to the the dude that you married on your wedding day. And that's what it's saying. No man is going to save you. Uh, The world has fallen. You're, you're going to want, you're going to long, you're going to dream. I mean, my daughter Amy Catherine, who did get married this summer, and she probably already can tell you it's not the answer. Uh, um, though Tom, we love Tom, and I'm sure he is the answer. Uh, <laughs> but, I mean, I can't remember what age it was, Amy Catherine, but, um, I don't know, fourth grade, you know, uh, uh, no, no, wait, not. Four or five. She had this wedding dress and, and these little slippers or, you know, high heel little things. And before I'd go to work, I would have to perform a wedding ceremony where we would get married. I mean, that was just, you know, built. Now, not every woman, you know, believe me, I understand. Not every little girl is like that. And that's not a model that if you're not like that, if your children aren't doing that, something's wrong. Hear me. But that's the general tenant there, and that's why the struggle for single girls um, is there. It's, it's hard. If, if you don't feel called to singleness, you want to be married and you're not married, I mean, that is a tough, tough place. Um, and it doesn't mean that you're, you know, it, there's idolatry. It's a tough place as we live in a fallen world. But, but then the man, to Adam, he will, you know, to Adam he said, because you listened to your wife and ate fruit from the tree about which I commanded you, you must not eat from it. Cursed is the ground. Because of you. In other words, for the man, the insecure, shallow man, the woman's going to be the reason for every bad thing in his life. Alright? Uh, it's that woman's fault. <laughs> I mean, aren't we still saying that? If I just had another wife, you know, if, I, if she wasn't there, I mean, that's Adam. That, that's it. We're, we're looking for someone to blame. Um, and of course there's passivity here, and I, we'll probably get into that next week. You know, should he have listened to his wife? No, he should have stood for righteousness. And, but here's the bent. It's, you know, the ground is cursed, my life is miserable because of you. Um, and so, here you have women looking to men to complete them. Here you have men who are going to blame the woman for every problem in his life. And you put them together and you say, go create a beautiful and incredible culture and society. That's where we're where we are. And yet that's exactly what God has done. In Genesis 1, in verse 20. Um, eight, we read this, be fruitful and increase in number, fill the earth and subdue it, rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over every living creature that moves on the ground. Before the fall, God gives men and women the role of creating society and culture and tells us that we cannot make society and culture apart from one another. We cannot fulfill Our role in the world, alone as men or alone as women, we have to be together. Because God has made us unique. And so, if you feel unrest, uh, you're not alone. And you're probably going to feel more unrest. But let's kind of move into it and see how we can at least begin thinking more biblically. And therefore we might become 
uh, living more biblically. And the first point is this. We need to see that gender difference is good. And what we see, I think, in uh, feminism and, um, and in the world today is a real push and a real drive to try to diminish the differences between men and women. In a sense, that's really good. But in a sense, that's not really good because God made us man and woman. And he did so because he created us in his image. We've got to go uh, to Genesis 1.27 and see, so God created mankind in his own image, in the image of God he created them, male and female he created them. Gender differences is not so much learned as it is built in because we're made in the image of God. Do you hear that? And so you don't have to be ashamed of being a man or being a woman. We have equal dignity. The man is not more of an image bearer of God than the woman, and the woman's not more of an image bearer of God. We need each other, and therefore we have to live in this complementary relationship where we are complementing each other and understanding that we can't image God and, and find purpose in our lives and fulfill purpose in our lives apart from one another. We need each other. And I want you to know that that is, a radically, that is a radical message in this world, and it always has been. Uh, Derek, Oliver, Lucy, Berry, and myself are going to India in a week and a half, Wednesday, October 29th. Um, funny story that has nothing to do with this, but Rick and uh, Chris gave me floor seats to the Grizzlies for my 50th birthday. I opened it up, and it has the date, October 29th. I'm like, is this some cruel trick, man? You guys gave me floor seats to the Grizzlies game on the day I leave for India. I can't go. And so now what we're worried about, I know, everybody, everybody, Ray wants the tickets, believe me. My daughter Ashley and her husband want the tickets, everybody wants the tickets. Uh, I'm just worried Chris and his fiance Whitney are going to be in those seats. Uh, anyway, I don't, how did I get on, anyway, I'm going to India, that was the point I was making. In India, because of Hinduism, women have no rights. <laughs> Um, it, it, it always, as I listen to you know far left commentators telling us how we need to accept Islam and and the world religions, I'm like, do you know what they teach about women? And I mean, and you're you criticize Christianity all the time. I mean, it's so so inconsistent and ridiculous. Um, Jesus was viewed as a feminist. When he talked to the Samaritan woman, it was not just the fact that he was talking to a Samaritan. It was the fact that she was a she and he was a he and they were talking. He was a Jewish man talking to a woman. I mean, do you get that? Do you understand that Christianity is the only religion in the world, in the history of the world, that says it's okay to be single? Hinduism basically teaches that you have to have a man, that a woman has no worth or dignity outside of being married, and her worth and dignity is, 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 dignity is tied to the benefit she brings to her husband. You ought to be horrified by that, American people. We're not, because, oh, it's cool to, to be multicultural and so forth. Christianity is the only religion that says... There is dignity being a man, being a woman,
because you are made in the image of an infinitely worthy God. Incredible. Incredible. Paul in 1 Corinthians even tells the church, I mean, it's almost like he's, you know, going against the whole rest of the Bible. Um, he, he tells us that it's really better to not get married because we can get a whole lot more work for the kingdom done without being, in, you know, uh, having the, the anchor of a, you know, a husband or a wife. Always dragging along behind you. I mean, that's kind of what it's like, Paul, really? That seems to be what he's saying. Crazy. I mean, that's Christianity. Why? Because we are serving a higher purpose. And the purpose is the glory of God. You see, the purpose that we are after as Christians is not equality, because there's going to be no real equality in heaven. You hear, you hear what Michael said earlier? He prayed, every knee will bow and every tongue confess that we're all equal. No, that Jesus Christ is Lord. Isn't that crazy? There's also no inequality. <laughs> but it's not this, you know, everybody's God. No, there is one God, and it is clear who that is. And it is clear who deserves the worship, who deserves the praise, and who who it, we should steer our lives toward and every purpose toward. So we're different, male and female, and we should see this. As we kind of wrap this up this morning, I, I want to ask you, do you feel like you have dignity this morning simply because you've been made in the image of God? I want you to try to identify right now, is it your job that you're looking to make you significant? The Bible tells you that you don't even have to have a job to be significant because you're made in the image of God. Do you, do you believe that? Is it, are you trying to be beautiful? Are you trying to be fit? Are you trying to be that person you look in the mirror and, and know that you're going to be the best looking one in the room? Do you understand that you image the God of the universe and God says that is your worth? Are, are you spending your life trying to accomplish something so that you can finally hear somebody on this planet say, you're worth something? God says you are worth something because you were made in my image. You don't have to do anything. That's why a child is worth something. That's why there's inherent in, in, worth because we're made in the image of God. Are you poor thinking you've got to be rich? Are you rich thinking you've got to be richer? Whatever it is, can you just rest this morning and say, I have worth. Because I am made in the image of God. That is meant to give you peace and rest this morning. I hope it does. Then secondly, and I'm not even going to give you all of the second point. The gospel must flavor every aspect of our application when we go into the whole gender role discussion. The gospel must flavor every aspect of our application of gender roles. I was in Cafe Eclectic in Harbortown this week, and Rachel, the owner, was in there. And the customers before me were a couple of guys from St. Jude. And, you know, they, you know, said, oh, yeah, Rachel said, y'all work for St. Jude, so you get your St. Jude discount. And I got up to the counter, I said, hey, where's the downtown church discount, you know? And she didn't go for that. 
but she started telling me this story about Rick Shadiak, um, who's the president of Allsack at St. Jude, and which is their uh, fundraising arm. And she said one day he came in, and he placed his order, and then kind of off to the side saw there was a family, a St. Jude family. And what that means is it's a family with a child who is a patient at St. Jude. And she said he met, went immediately over there and, and talked and, you know, got their story and, and listened to him. And when he came back, she said literally tears were running down his face. And she said, I have so much respect for that man. Now, why did she have so much respect for that man? And I've heard story after story after story. I cannot wait to meet this man. Um, because I hear this over and over and over and over again. Why is there so much respect? Because he didn't just take his job for the paycheck. He took his job because he obviously thought he could be a part of healing children who would otherwise die. In our roles, his role is leadership. But in that role, he can sit in his office and abuse it and just let everybody serve him, or he can take that role and see his role as being the chief servant and the one who can bring the most benefit to those around him, the weak. Now, friends, that smells of the gospel because it is the gospel. And I don't know if he's a believer in Jesus, but I can tell you this much. He smells like the gospel. <laughs> and when we talk about gender roles, the, re- the problem that we get into is we start talking about... It, it's almost like the issue of slavery. Does the Bible teach that slavery is right? In a sense, yes. Now, stone me. But when I say slavery, and when the Bible says slavery... It, the Bible's not talking about the American-African experience of slavery. It's not talking about getting in a boat, going to Africa, kidnapping men and women, putting them in the bottom of a boat for thousands of miles, and then whoever lives at the end of it is going to, you know, then they'll sell for pro- That's not what the Bible talks about slavery. It abhors that kind of treatment. Why? Because everyone, no matter who they are, no matter where they are, have infinite worth and value because they're made in the image of God, okay? And many other things, all right? So... When we talk about gender roles, and I even use the word leadership and submission, man, people are ready to take me out. But hear me. When we talk about leadership, the leader has the responsibility of dying. Jesus is our king, and what did he do? He left heaven to become man. He didn't just sit up there and say, oh, those ungrateful wretches. He came down. And that's what leadership is. It's coming down. I tell you, I, I, I struggle with even to bring this up, but I'm going to do it. And not, please hear me. It's not to sensationalize the stuff going on with Mars Hill and Mark Driscoll, because I don't know what all's going on. But I'll say this much. The only thing I'm hearing is this, that Mark Driscoll was handling his role in an arrogant fashion. And then I hear people saying, well, is that, there's gotta be, he must have had some type of sexual relationship. He had to have done something immoral. 
And I say how horrible it is that in the church today that you've got to have sex with somebody outside of marriage for that to be commitment of, or be committing something immoral. Arrogance is immoral. <laughs> Pride is immoral. And it has no place in the body of Christ. Why? Because God exists as Father, Son, and Spirit. And when the Father told His Son to come to this earth, the Son didn't say, Oh, no, you can't tell me what to do. But He gladly did it out of love and respect for His Father. And when he was on the cross, you remember what he cried? Not my will, but your will be done. There was headship and submission, and that's what we're talking about. And at the end of the day, the Father will present the bride of Christ to Jesus. Washed in his own blood, made beautiful. And his bride will dance with him on into glory forever and ever. Amen. So as next week, but I hope you come back... (laughs) And bring somebody, maybe. Uh, Come back. I want you to understand that if your your heart is not softened by the gospel, you're going to want to hate what I say and not embrace what I say. The gospel must rule us. The fact that Jesus came and died for you must move you to the point that you willingly want to submit to everything He says. And therefore, as we come next week, I hope and pray that throughout this week, we're considering this whole reality. Am I living in a submissive relationship with Jesus? Am I willing to let Jesus speak into my life at this point and every other point? Am I willing to let Him make corrections... In my marriage? Am I willing to make, let Him make corrections in my roles and the way I look at the church? Because we're going to talk about leadership in the church. We're going to talk about why the Bible says that women should not be ordained to the office of teaching or preaching in the church. We're going to talk about these things. And as we do, we've got to ask ourselves, is my heart truly submissive to Jesus himself? Let's pray. Our great God, we thank you so much for your love. We thank you for the gospel of Jesus. We thank you for the hope that we have in him. And we pray that you would meet us at this point and that you would draw our hearts to you. Oh God, it blows us away, the submission and the headship just in who you are. And Father, we have so failed you to reflect that headship and reflect that submission in a biblical way, in a glorious way that shows the world what a community looks like that lives under your authority and seeks your glory. So help us, O God, we pray. Correct us, bring repentance, bring correction, and uh, move us forward. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.